If you just read the bio for Dr. Steve, host of Weird Medicine on Sirius XM 103 and made popular by two really comedy shows, Opie and Anthony and Ron and Fez, you would have thought that this guy was was a bit of, uh, you know, a, a clown. Can you please stop bullshitting and get to the question? I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valve exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast with the wave an ultrasonic echographic and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for my ailments. The health equivalent of Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease. It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve, with my wife, Tacey, the professional WebEx attendee. Hello, Tacey. Hello, everyone. This is a show for people who had never listened to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you have a question that you're embarrassed to take to your regular medical provider, if you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347-766-4323. That's 347-POOHEAD. Visit our website at drsteve.com for podcast medical news and stuff you can buy or go to our merchandise store at cafepress.com slash weirdmedicine and get yourself a weird medicine Bristol stool scale mug and where you can uh, rate your stools while you're uh, drinking your cup of coffee in the morning. Most importantly, we are not your... That sounds like fun, doesn't it? We are not your medical providers, and I sell it so well. Yeah, you do. Uh, take, really. every, <laughs> take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on the show without talking it over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, practical nurse, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. Don't forget uh, to check out stuff.drsteve.com for all your Amazon needs. And uh, there's something new on there. If you go to stuff.drsteve.com that you can click through, and I'll be danged if I can remember. What, oh, 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 I remember what it is. For people who play instruments, you have to check this out. Go to stuff.drsteve.com. I think the second link down is for the roadie. This roadie is a robotic instrument tuning device and it looks like it just does guitars and basses that's not true we tuned up scott's mandolin the other day you can do alternate tuning you can do all kinds of stuff and they are unbelievably um reasonably priced i i I was astounded he's in love i am completely enamored with this thing and i'm playing with i've tuned every instrument in the house and i want to tune more things so if you have an instrument bring it over and i'll by god i'll tune it but uh check that out at stuff.drsteve.com also uh tweakedaudio.com offer code fluid for the best earbuds for the price on the market anywhere and if you want to lose weight with us for your new year's resolution for 2021 go to noom n-o-o-m dot dr steve.com do the free trial for two weeks if you like it you can continue it you get a 20 percent uh discount if you use noom dot dr steve.com and people with an oculus we don't get anything out of this other than the satisfaction of knowing that people are their mental health is better is uh, go to uh the oculus store and uh get the trip app t-r-i-p-p and uh you you, they, you can go to trip.com t-r-i-p-p.com and use offer code dr steve dr steve and you get uh 20 off 
We don't get anything from that. They were just nice enough to do that for our listeners because the CEO enjoyed being on our show. So uh, check that out. Greatest thing ever. Bobby Kelly did it absolutely just fell asleep in the chair and we had to catch him. That's how awesome it is. Anyway, and check out Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net. Seemed like, oh, I liked your uh, Dave Landau impression at the beginning. I think you need to keep I mean, that. I don't understand why you think it's an impression. It's saying hello, hello and it's saying everyone. to everyone. Hello, everyone. Well, okay, so I'm going to start saying, hey, girl. No, no, <laughs> no, I like Hey, girl. <laughs> you know, that reminds me of the time when our son Liam, he was six, and he was sleeping with a Santa uh, stuffed animal. It looked like Santa. And I made, I remarked about how I liked it. I thought it was cute. I was like, oh, did you sleep with Santa last night? And he was like, no. And he and he stuffed it under his bed and he would never sleep with it again. Mm-hmm. So that was not my intent. Well, your intent, I don't care. Was, I'll, I was calling I'll probably forget it by I next like Wednesday. It. But um, Hello, I'll everyone. say it whatever way I want to. And I'll probably <laughs> say, hey, girl, or something stupid okay. like that. Okay. Hey, girl, I like that. Or or like on Star Trek last night when she said, Let, let's fly. Oh, I hated that. Let's fly. Because they they made a big deal. Okay, that's a spoiler, I guess. Spoiler for the season is, finale. Is it Discovery. really? Oh, well, for some sorry. People. But uh, they made a big deal out of Saru not having a catchphrase, and he tried to use different ones. Because, you know, Picard's was make it so, and then Kirk's at the end, oh, spoiler at the end, you know, in the movie thing was like, oh, just go wherever, go that away or whatever. And um, uh, Saru didn't have one, and now there's, there is one, and I, I thought it was really cringy. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> Did not like it. Okay. Um, so, like you said, make it so is the one that it ought to be. No argument from me. Yeah. I had, oh, you know, we've had some questions about the um, COVID-19 vaccine. I was actually on with the um, uh, air traffic controllers in one of the areas around here, large air, air traffic control thing, and did a Q&A with them. And um, one of the questions that came up was if you have already had COVID-19, should you then turn around and get the vaccine? And I wasn't 100% sure, but I know that the vaccine makes different antibodies than the virus does. How do I know? Because I tried to cheat when I was in the Pfizer trial. They gave me uh, an injection, two injections, uh, three weeks apart. I thought that I had gotten vaccine because I had pain in my shoulder and had some mild muscle aches and pains. It was like saline isn't going to do that. But then I went and tried to cheat the system a little bit and asked my primary care to order uh, COVID-19 antibodies on me, and they were negative. I'm like, well, crap. That means I got the placebo. But as very often is the case in science, uh, what I assumed made sense wasn't really true because the vaccine makes a different antibody, a different set of antibodies than the uh, having the illness does. So there are a couple of trains of thought that if you uh, get the virus after getting the vaccine and you're generating a different set of antibodies, that the first set could block the second set and cause a chain reaction that would cause a very serious 
uh, syndrome. This was seen in some experimental models and in cat coronavirus vaccine trials way back when they were first starting with this. And so there are some people who have some concerns about that. Well, it turns out so far so good because uh, there were uh, uh, quite a few people that got the virus in the trial. Well, I say quite a few. I mean, there was a, a small number, but it was actually uh, 5% compared to 90. Well, let me put it this way. It's, I'm putting it wrong. Uh, compared to the placebo group, only 5%. Um, uh, had contracted the illness in the in the vaccine group. Uh, so if there were a hundred people in the in the placebo group, five in the vaccine group actually got uh, COVID nineteen, but none of them had that severe syndrome that we were worried about. So, it, but a hundred percent of them didn't die too. So that was uh, a, a real plus. So we, that doesn't seem to be an issue. So the, I went to the CDC website, and they actually have an answer for that. And they said, yes, we believe that you should get the vaccine even if you've already had COVID-19. So don't uh, worry about that. And maybe gives you even better, um, uh, better uh, long-term immunity to have both sets of antibodies lay, you know, in your body. I've heard that... Um Side effects of the vaccine are worse if you've recently had COVID. Well, and and that makes sense, doesn't it? Because you kind of does, yes. When you inject this mRNA strand, it's instructions on making a viral protein that the body makes antibodies against. If you already have antibodies against it, it will mount a more vigorous response to the vaccine. Uh, but that's a good thing. So that makes sense. And when you get that pain and the muscle aches and pain, you know your immune system is revving up to fight off this pseudo-infection that you're creating. Because that's the way this appears to the body is viral proteins that are emerging uh, from the surface of the cells and they're expressed on the surface of the cell. looks just like an infection to the body. So you're mounting... A, a good immune response against that. So it's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Very interesting indeed. All right. Um, All right. Well, you want to just answer some questions? Let's just answer questions because okay. I didn't do any homework. Did you not? Nope. Well, guess what? Neither did I. Okay. Number one thing, don't take advice from some asshole on the radio. All right. We'll just see what we've got. Thank you, Ronnie B. That's absolutely true. Hey, Dr. Steve. Hey. This is Brian from West Tennessee. Hey, Brian. And uh, I read a Wall Street Journal article a couple months ago about how uh, poorly funded the um, public health system has been for 20 to 30 years. And I think that's where you're seeing this um, hiccup in uh, getting the vaccine out is uh, public health, uh, you know, we, have, we don't have pandemics often. And so um, when it comes time for that to be a distribution channel, it has just been so poorly funded that it's hard to um, uh, expect anything great from that. Uh, just thought I'd add that. Thanks. Yeah. Um... I know what he's talking about. And really, 
I'm I'm not 100 percent convinced that it's a lack of funding to community health centers that's causing some of this problem. It, but he, I, it's probably multifactorial and it's got something to do with it. I mean, when's the last time you went to your county health department, Tase? I know a lot of people do use it, but uh, I've talked to people on this show and they want to get, say, STD testing. I say, go to the county health department. They're like, do we have such a thing? It's like, yes, you have that. I think a lot of people aren't aware of them. And, yep. I, and I think um, even if they are aware, they don't want to go there. Right. Well, maybe. So uh, I've worked in the county health department. Uh, they do some great work in there. And, um, you know, it's – but it is something people aren't necessarily aware of unless they're just plugged into that. And so if people aren't aware of it, they're not using it. If they're not using it, they're not getting funding. So it becomes sort of a log rolling And thing. there's a little bit of a stigma against it. Is I there? Think. I, th- I think so, yes. And, um, and also I don't understand why – like he was talking about the vaccine, a lot of um, county health departments are charged with giving the vaccine out when we have all all these other areas or well, places right. that can give the vaccine. I mean, our health That's... center, our, our health system is giving them out. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about the phases. Phase 1A is this jumpstart phase where high-risk health care workers that are in the COVID units are getting the vaccine first and then first responders. Phase 1B would be people of all ages with comorbid and underlying conditions that put them at significantly higher risk. So that'd be older adults living in congregate or overcrowded settings, people with um, uh, morbid obesity, diabetes, or uh, uh, compromised immune systems. Then phase two are K through 12 teachers and school staff and child care workers, and then critical workers in high-risk settings that are in industries essential to the functioning of society, and substantially higher risk of exposure. So, um, what if you don't fit in a phase? I know. Well, they, if you don't fit in a phase, you're three. You're phase three. It's young adults, children, workers in industries and occupations important to the functioning society, but not included in phase one or two. So that's just everybody that's else. Just pretty much everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, anyway, it's yeah. Bull it's, crap! I want that vaccine. <laughs> I agree. We need to get you the vaccine. Um, yeah, here's the national estimate of COVID-19 incidents per 100,000 population. This is from the CDC. And uh, it's really 18 to 29 is number one, but then 85 plus is number two. And that's because of nursing homes. But the mortality rates are very are much higher in 85 plus, And that's almost three times higher than people in 75 to 84 and then 65 to 74 is half again that much. And then it's just, it just starts to drift off to almost nothing. Um, but anyway, yeah, we're seeing this, this, fir- this third phase. Now, we are recording this on Friday, January 8th, 2020, in case this thing gets replayed. And what I'm seeing at covid.stoutlabs.com right now, which is the best website for visualizing this data, is that the new cases in the United States are starting to level off. Now, cases, meh, you know, cases in the best way to to judge this, because what if we're judging cases? What if we run out of testing materials? If we ran out of testing materials, new cases, as far as some of these things, the way that they are reporting them, would drop off to nothing. 
well as people may still be getting sick like crazy. So new hospitalizations and new deaths are interesting to look at because that's really what we're interested in, right? I mean, purportedly, the reason that we're doing all these lockdowns is to keep from overwhelming the medical system, right? So in our health system, uh, there are, um, you know, uh, COVID units where I didn't even know we had beds before. So, and when people say, why are we doing all these lockdowns? I'm not a fan of lockdowns myself. And I think you protect the vulnerable. Everybody else keeps away from each other to the extent that you can. And when you can't, you wear a mask, hoping hoping that it will decrease transmission somewhat. Um, but trying to stay out of crowds as much as you possibly can. And when you do that, then the health system so far seems to be able to handle it. But a lot of health systems are getting right close up to that brink where if this continues to increase, they're going to have problems. And it's not necessarily uh, – I was in a meeting the other day. It was like, well, we've got plenty of medication. What we're running low on are things like syringes. Oh, really? You know? Yeah. So uh, with this in, influx of need to give people vaccines, there are some sites that will have vaccine but not have syringes. So it's just stuff like that because you, everything's got to be in place at the same time. I mean, think about it. just sending out 300 million vaccines. You got to have 300 million little bottles and 300 million little caps and the little septum that goes in there. If the supplier that uh, uh, supplies everybody with the rubber that that you put the syringe through mm-hmm. somehow is delayed, well, there's no vaccine going out. You know, that would becomes the rate limiting step. And then 300 million labels and then the little cardboard partitions that go in in the box and the whole damn thing. You know, everything's got to fall into place perfectly. And American industry has gotten pretty good at that just in time kind of uh, operation. But still, there are vulnerabilities there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, I'm just rambling at this point. But that's OK. I guess you want me to talk, but I'm not really in the mood. No, it's okay. I'm trying to have a conversation, but I'm okay monologuing. (laughs) (laughs) Just go to covid.stoutlabs.com. You can look at new hospitalizations. Uh, And, again, that's really where the rubber hits the road because we could have cases going through the roof. And if people aren't getting sick enough to go to the hospital and not ending up on the ventilator and dying and then taking up beds in parts of the hospital that have never kept acutely ill people before and then preventing people from getting things that they need like colonoscopies Mm -hmm. uh, because we're going to have there will be an uptick in advanced cancers after this thing because there are people are not getting their colonoscopies like they would have for a year now um and you can think of lots of other things like that that are just not like being done. Going to the dermatologist. I need to go and get my skin checked. Yeah. I've never had it. I've got a couple of places, and I don't want to go. How is that place on your it's chest It's looking doing, better. It's still there, though? It's still there, but it's a lot better. Yeah, I need to biopsy that. But Fun. Um, yeah, loads of fun. But uh, anyway, if if we can do that, then it, it, it doesn't matter as uh, we can f- go back to functioning as normal. Yes, we'll have this virus that's running through, but it's just the act of the virus running through our uh, populace doesn't require us to lock down everything. It's trying to keep uh, the medical system from completely collapsing. And uh, so far, we've avoided that in most places. 
And maybe I would venture to say all places as far as complete and utter collapse that hasn't happened. I'm just tired of being afraid. Yeah, you know, I know. I'm sick of it. I get it. I, I do get it. So, uh, yeah, I think public health is important. That's something that if it's being underfunded, it needs to be funded at, at a higher level because um, we are not the greatest country in the world when it comes to uh, preventative maintenance, for example. We're or the, mental health. We're terrible at mental health. Are we? Yes. What, what's the data on that? Are other countries I mean, better I don't, than us? I'm not going to spit out data because I don't know it. But I mean... <laughs> so you feel that that's the case. No, I think any psychiatrist or psychologist you talk to would tell you there's just not enough funding for mental health, period. And right. people who are sick and who need to see people aren't getting in. Yeah, that's, that's a, that is a problem. You know, the state will say, if you're going to prescribe a benzodiazepine, which is a, a drug like Valium, and uh, an opioid or a narcotic like oxycodone, you have to get a mental health consult to say whether the benzodiazepine drug is appropriate. And we just, you know, this is one of these, you know, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. because it's where we're supposed to send them to. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, there's uh, there there's not enough mental health providers out there for us to send all these people to to get this uh, approval or you know blessing the the plan or whatever so but the state mandates these things but they don't give us any way to um uh to implement those things a lot of people need help and they're not getting it yeah yeah one country uh encouraging mental health awareness is luxembourg of course there's what 50 people live there you think we could move there (laughs) i mean i'm just i'm i'm opening i'm open to options at this point yeah it says here while many this is an article from talkspace.com that wonderful medical journal but uh while many countries struggle with opening the discussion around mental health care the united states was ranked third for burden of mental and behavioral disorder i would say that's true Adjusting for population size by, oh, by the World Health Organization. I wonder who was first. According to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, 47.6 million adults, that's almost 20% in the United States, experienced a mental illness in 2018. Well, now, what, what, how are they defining mental illness? Um, they had a panic attack or, you know, or is it people, you know, the mere spacecraft controlling their, their bowels? Um, let me see. It says here that 26 million Americans with a mental illness are still going untreated. So, again, not 100% sure how they're defining mental illness. Let's go to this World Health Organization. I want to see who's first, who's worse than us. Um, now, oh, now it takes me to a page that's just worthless. So, I don't know. I would like to know. Why don't you look that up if you can? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Not even. Sorry, but I'm serious. What? (laughs) Okay. It said, while many countries struggle with opening the discussion around mental health, the United States was ranked third for burden of mental and behavioral disorders. I want to know who's ranked first. It says, according uh, uh, by the World Health Organization, but uh, just put ranking for burden of mental health and behavioral disorder. I would do it, but then we've had enough dead air today. All right. While you're doing that, I'll do this one. Oh. Steve, uh, my name's Aaron. I'm calling from uh, Canada. Hey, Aaron. 
I'm a healthy 36-year-old male. I listen to your guys' show every week, and you guys are a great company. Well, I make my weekly 500-kilometer commute to work. Oh, my goodness. What is that, four well, miles? Well, roughly uh, five we don't know years ago, I had an experience here. with... What's what's five hundred kilometers? Days? I can't do two things at once. I think once. it's three hundred miles or something. And I don't like even know what you, I like. I can't even find an article on this. This okay. is okay. Well, bullcrap. You don't have to. You just you could just look just while crap. I answer this. And I, I'm you telling to, you, I can't find it. You don't, it's okay. I don't know what article you were on. I'm getting okay. You don't have to give us the true commentary. global you burdens, just... but I'm not getting. <laughs> Con- you know what? E- Echo. How many Somebody miles is five hundred kilometers? Why? Where's Scott? 500 kilometers <laughs> is about 310 miles. Oh, okay. Hey, I was right. How about that? It's Friday one day. I, I can't. Uh-oh, I, give, I have a friend calling me. I have me. give myself one of these. Give yourself a bill. Well, I'm going to have to take okay. that. Okay. Well, feel free to do so um, off the air. How about that? How would that be? That, would that suit you? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> that cluster. Okay. Born with one kidney, and apparently it's roughly twice. Oh, wait a minute. I also had an ultrasound company oh. will make my weekly 500-kilometer commute to work. Okay, 310 miles, I think. So uh, roughly uh, five years ago, I had an experience with hematospermia. The semen was a pinkish-red color. Okay, so he's talking about hematospermia. We have talked about it on the show, but it's been a long time. It's blood in the semen. So, oh. Yeah. Cleared up pretty quick. And Do you remember when I had that? No, was it a pretty pink color? No, it was it was blood red, and blood it was red. when Ooh. we were in Jamaica. Ooh, you don't remember this? Well, you were probably three sheets. I'm, God, I hope I had consent that night. I doubt <laughs> you, you did. If you don't remember it, I doubt you did. Yeah, it was bad, and then I ended up having to have the the um, oh. scope, and then I ran into that person's car, and I left the scene of the yes, accident. Yes, you left the. We'll talk about that in a minute. Here, <laughs> let's let this person. An appointment with my family doctor right away. They did blood work and urinalysis. Both came back normal. Of course. I also had an ultrasound on my bladder and kidney, which also came back normal. Of course. The conclusion was idiopathic. I was born with one kidney, and apparently it's roughly twice the size of a normal one. So fast forward to October 2020, and I had another episode of hematospermia. I'd also like to add, I had a vasectomy around four months prior to the second episode. Shouldn't have made any And it difference. was discovered I only had one vas deferens. Apparently, this is common in people born with one kidney. This time, it looked like pure blood. It was also accompanied with extreme pain in my taint while ejaculating, and I have also developed some erectile difficulties. I called the urologist uh, right away who performed. I just realized he's reading this. He is reading this, yeah. That's, yeah. that's actually an okay thing. I mean, yeah, but he's, he's written down all his thoughts, and yep. he doesn't want to leave anything out, right. and he's got a little outline. And he said to get a to a doctor right away in case I had an infection. So I received some antibiotics from a walk-in clinic as I was away from home. And when I got home, I made another appointment with my family doctor. This time, my blood work came back with slightly high hemoglobin and white blood cell count. I was told this was normal and I should donate blood. What? The urinalysis came back normal again. Testosterone wait a minute, right wait a minute, wait a minute. I this run time, my blood work came back with slightly high hemoglobin and white blood cell count. I was told this was normal and I should donate blood. Okay, slightly high, maybe. The urinalysis came back normal again. Testosterone level was right around the 300 mark and was told this is normal. 
This time I was given an ultrasound on my testicles and a small lesion was found on my right testicle. The ultrasound tech didn't think it was anything to be concerned about and I'll have to come back for a follow-up ultrasound in three months' time to see if it has changed. I wasn't really happy with wait, the... Wait a minute. The tech, surely to goodness, it was the radiologist that said that. And what they would normally say is there was a thing found here where it's indeterminate. We recommend follow-up in three months to see if it's growing, and then the primary care provider would interpret that and, and then decide whether they wanted to agree with that or send the person to a urologist. So um, I'm really hoping that it wasn't the tech that said that. Final outcome... I've come back in three months and was wondering what your thoughts are on this whole situation. I also asked my doctor if I could get a CT scan, but they said no because of the exposure to radiation was worth it at this point. Yeah, I don't disagree with that because that's not the, the, the right workup. So uh, hematospermia uh, can also be called hemospermia, and it is defined as the presence of blood in the ejaculate. And it causes anxiety in men when it happened to me in a foreign country. Even though I knew, you know, I've had treated lots of people with it. I and I've always counseled them that the vast majority of time it's completely benign occurrence when it happens. Of course, I'm assuming that I'm the one where it's not benign. Mm -hmm. And uh, patients who are above forty years of age and people with risk factors need to be thoroughly evaluated. This guy has some risk factors uh, because he has one kidney and one vas deferens and he doesn't have a normal um, um, you know uh, normal GI tract, sorry, GU tract. And um, in that case, uh, you would want to do a more thorough evaluation. So the, there is an examination that's mandatory. They need to do blood pressure, need to palpate the abdomen to look for enlarged spleen or enlarged kidneys and then you do a genital examination you're looking for testicular lumps which they did through ultrasound but for any discharge and you want to do a rectal exam to look at the prostate the next thing that you do is you don't do all this other bs is you do cystoscopy and cystoscopy is what i had where and scott had one too where they take uh, a little thin fiber optic scope and shove it up your cock hole. No. <laughs> Poor feller. No, it's, it's, I'm, I'm being ridiculous. Does it sound worse than it is? It, uh, it does sound worse than it is. It was not fun. I will tell you that. They I would take, imagine. They take jelly that has anesthetic on it called lidocaine and then they Put it on the end of this tube before they shove it up into your urethral meatus. And uh, that is really just to make the urologist feel better. Yes. It doesn't do anything to make us feel better because I felt every inch of that thing. And uh, But it wasn't the worst thing in the world. I've had worse. And but when it was taken out, I felt like there someone had taken a razor blade and kind of, you know, dragged it across the inside of the urethra or the tube going from the bladder to the outside world. And the, which is why when I backed into somebody in the parking lot, I got out, I surveyed, saw no damage and I just got in my car and left because I had to go lay down. 
Um, the pain probably lasted an hour or two, and it was worse when I voided my bladder, as you can imagine, but then that was it. And it was worth doing because what they're trying to accomplish is they're visualizing the inside of the bladder without cutting you open. And the peace of mind that I got from knowing that I did not have a tumor in my bladder or in the urethra uh, was absolutely worth the discomfort that I went through. So I probably should have driven you that day. Well, who knew? You know, they it was, shouldn't have. They said it wasn't any big deal, and I wasn't under anesthesia uh, at all, <laughs> and the jelly just didn't really do anything. Like I said, it just made him feel better that he was doing something. But um, uh, yeah, and then the police showed up and said, "Hey, did you leave the scene of a of a of an accident?" I said, "No, I backed into somebody's car, and I looked at it. it wasn't there was no accident, and." Uh, uh, and he said, well, you know, they're saying there was damage. It was to the wrong side. You know, I, I know where I, what part of the car that I hit. What they did was they had damage, and then they decided, oh, we got here's this. Here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity. We got this guy's um, uh, license number. Let's claim that he caused this damage. And then I ended up having to pay for it. But anyway, uh, I should have just stayed there and but, uh, you know, I was really well, you also, in a hurry to get the hell home. You, you were know? a mess. You also said, I think there's no damage to the car, so maybe I hit the curb. Like, you didn't know what you Yeah, that's hit. true. That's true. But I do know what side of the car it would have been. Yeah. Uh, there was zero damage to the car where I hit it. I mean, it was just one of those things where you you feel the resistance and your car, you know, isn't going back at the same rate that it was before. Well, don't you feel good about fixing their car, though? I do. I, I, feel, I feel okay about it because it's no skin off my bones now. You know, it was a grand that, um, you know, I missed at the time, but I don't miss it now. It was 10 years ago. But anyway, so, uh, yeah, so that's what I would recommend that they do is a cystoscopy, but then the, the ultrasound is correct, and if there's a enlarged prostate or a... Uh, nodule on your prostate and you're at risk then maybe a prostate biopsy but most of the time no and um, you know these all these prostatic pathologies are easier to find using that transrectal ultrasound which is where they take a probe and shove it up the other orifice that's down there your your anus and uh, they can get the probe right up against the wall of the prostate, which is why it's great to do that. Do it this way, because remember, the back side of the prostate is the front side of the rectum, Ooh. and uh, that's why we can stick our finger in the rectum and feel the prostate. But you can also put an ultrasound probe up there and take pictures of the inside of the prostate, looking for tumors and stuff like that. So. Um, you know, the MRI can be used to rule out rare causes of hematospermia and doesn't cause ionizing radiation like a CT scan does. So I don't disagree that the CT scan isn't the best way to go. Uh, it does it exposes you to low doses of radiation. That's, to me, not that big of a deal if you're just having one. But um, it doesn't do as good a job at diagnosing these kinds of things as an MRI does. So MRI uses microwaves. Um, and there you go. So basically, and then after you do all of that, the vast, vast majority of people are completely benign, have no 
syndrome that needs to be treated further. The fact that you had it twice tells me that this needs to be evaluated, though. That, to me, increases the risk that there's something else going on. So cystoscopy, I'd go to a urologist, let them do their protocol, mm-hmm. okay, and get get out of the primary care office for this one thing because this is really, at this point, since it's recurrent, is beyond the scope of their practice, in my opinion. That doesn't mean they're doing anything wrong. I'm just saying it's time to move up to the next level. All right. And in Canada, it's probably easier for a urologist to get some of these things approved than it would be for the primary care. I'm just assuming that that's true. If I'm wrong, someone from Canada correct me on that. Okay. Hey, Dr. Steve Tango from Houston. Hey, Tango. Hope your stupid nuts are free of lumps. Uh, <laughs> Thank I have a you. question about the COVID saliva test. Where's cash? I recently took and tested negative. Okay. Uh, actually turned out to be a false negative. Oh, and I was wondering, <coughs> oh, me, I'm still kind of sick over here. Uh, I was wondering as I researched through the uh, guidelines for taking the uh, or administering the saliva test that uh, they didn't appear to do it properly oh, no. when I went to the test site. Uh, they asked us to cough three times into our masks. They also asked us to... Uh, swab our own cheeks and uh, roof of our mouth and such. Mm -mm. And as I researched it, I saw that uh, the proper way to get the saliva was to kind of drool into a cup. So I'm wondering if you think that the administration of this test, the way that it's kind of self-administered, is accounting for some of the false negatives out there. Um, I had to dig pretty deep to find that guideline. Well, and it depends on the test, too. So there are some tests that require a deep dive into your sinus cavity, basically, into the turbinates uh, in the back of your nose, and some that are sensitive enough that you could do it from the front of the nose. Uh, There are some that um, you have a long swab, and it's inserted into the back of your throat, which is called an oropharyngeal swab. And most people can't do that because it'll cause a... um, a gag reflex that's pretty severe. So they'll have, find it hard to do. It's a lot easier to shove a tongue depressor in somebody's mouth, push down on the back of their tongue, which makes them go Ugh, like yeah. that. And when they do that, then you can, it opens up and you can uh, swab Is the back of Is that why they throat. do that? I mm-hmm. never knew that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. To get the tongue out of the way, really. Um, and uh, then, then other ones, you, you spit into a tube to produce the saliva sample. So just swabbing the inside of your mouth, though, I've not seen a test that has that protocol. They may have had one, and that may be on their protocol. So you have, but it is this very important, and you bring up a good point, that testing does no good if you don't follow the instructions that are included with the test. So um, centers have to follow proper protocol. They have to handle the samples properly. They've got to uh, bag them up properly and send them off correctly in the right kind of containers. I've seen uh, viral samples where people were doing herpes swabs, for example, and they would stick it in the wrong transport medium and the virus dies, those, all those will be negative. So that has to be done properly or it won't work. And those of us, when we're, you know, I'm a patient too, when I go to my 
primary care provider or to specialists, uh, you're assuming they know what the hell they're doing. And most of the mm-hmm. time they do. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, sometimes there will be issues. Just like when you go to the pharmacy and every once in a while you'll get the wrong pill. Mm-hmm. It's one time in maybe 10,000. But it, it happens because we're dealing with human beings. So you always want to check that stuff. That happened to a friend of ours recently. And um, they, uh, you know, the, which is, by the way, the argument that I use why you shouldn't do street drugs. Because if you can't 100% trust what you're getting from a pharmacy where there's been checks and balances all the way from manufacturing through distribution through dispensing, and still, you know, one time in a thousand or one time in 10,000 or whatever the number is, there will be an error. If I can't 100% trust my local pharmacist, who I basically do trust uh, to a very high degree, how in the hell am I going to trust some guy making this crap in their bathtub or in a lab in I their mean, basement? Come I mean, come on. Give me, yeah, give me a break. A toothless one at that. Yeah, that's right. You want some math? Mm-hmm. You can have yourself. How about one of my scabs while you're at it? <laughs> well, you know that's a real thing, right? Yes. Yeah, meth scabs because you can secrete methamphetamine through your pores that if you have a scab, it can become uh, concentrated in the scab and you can eat it and get you a little bit. Oh, jeez. Yep. Uh, so this the, the CDC says that uh, you may spit into a tube to produce a saliva sample. Results are available in, in minutes of analyzed on-site or a few days or longer uh, if sent to an outside lab. And the PCR tests, which is what those are, are very accurate when properly performed by a healthcare professional. All right. So, yeah. Uh, don't. There's no real recourse for this unless you say, let me look at the protocol, read it, make sure they're doing it. I, I would say 99.9% of places are administering their COVID-19 tests properly. But, you know, he also brings another point up. How many yep. times have we heard of false positives and false negatives well, sure. with yeah. these um, tests? Right. I mean, no matter what kind of test it is, uh, we know a bunch of people who've had false positives and the next two would be negative or or what tell me one test that's 100% positive or 100% accurate even colonoscopy is not 100% sensitive so sensitivity is that measure of um, how uh, how many people you're getting that are that are positive that actually have the disease so sensitivity you want to cast a wide net to catch all of the people that you can possibly get and then when you do that, you follow it up with a, this is for screening tests, with a more specific test that would be negative in health. In other words, you're going to have very few false positives in a very specific test. And um, uh, so the tests that you get should be true positives, and they should be mostly true negatives as well. So there will be false positive tests and everything. It doesn't mean the test is worthless. I hear, well, there's false positives, so that test's no good. It's just like this whole thing, masks don't work if they don't work 100% of the time. I, my position is if they work 10% of the time, they work enough to serve a purpose. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that there should be mask mandates and all that crap, because I don't believe in that. But um, I do feel that um, they serve a purpose, and just because they don't work 100% of the time, matter of fact, maybe they don't work 90% of the time, they still have some value. So 
even more so on something like this that has, let's say, a 5% false negative rate, um, that still serves a purpose because what you want to look at is the pretest probability. That's where the, the rubber hits the road when it comes to testing. So what percentage of the time would you say masks are effective? I'm going to, okay, well, going back to that, and I'll just forget about the, ar- the argument I was making, but we'll, we'll come back to it. Sorry. No, it's okay. I'm just kidding. You know, you started saying that, and then I kept no. thinking about me at the gym with my mask on, thinking I'm okay. Yep, yep. And, okay. Um, um, well, if you're thinking it, other people are thinking it, too, so it's important for me to address that. Uh, let's say it's only 10% of the time. But is it only 10% of the time? I don't know. Uh, it depends, and it depends on the mask, and it depends on who's wearing it and how they're wearing it and all that crap, right? So it... Let's just say, though, that it's only 10% of the time that they're effective. Uh, well, you, you know, will somebody that's an anti-masker give me that and say that, well, yeah, 90% of the time it doesn't work. That 10% is enough to, pre- to prevent enough cases of COVID-19 that certain states that have um, a very low level of disease could get their level so low that they would start seeing decline in their in their case rates and we we've talked about this before that r sub t the the effective reproduction rate if you can get it uh, so if it's at 1.0 then 100 people give it to 100 people and you will always have disease but it will be at a low level and it won't be increasing so the if you look at the curve it'll be linear if the r sub t is 2 that one person is infecting two people, then one person will give it to two, or 100 will give it to 200, will give it to 400, give it to 800, 1600. And so you'll see that geometric curve rising up. But if the R sub T is less than one, let's say it's 0.9, this is the example I always give them, 1,000 people will give it to 900, we'll give it to 810, we'll give it to 720, and you'll see decline. So if you have, let's just say you're in a place where the R sub T is 1.1, well, now let's, let's try 1.05. And then decreasing transmission by 10% will get that number below 1, and you'll start to see declining cases. Okay. So um, to ask me what's the percentage of time that masks work? Yeah, it's it, not a fair question, it is just it? A, well, it's a very fair question. It's just not easy to answer. I mean, because you're right. Different masks and different, different people. people, how I they see, wear them. I see people wearing masks in the grocery store, and it didn't stop in anything because they're wearing them under their chin. Mm-hmm. You know, people, a chin diaper, just don't even wear it. If you're, if you're going to do that, just say, I'm not wearing a freaking mask. I mean, that just almost shows a level of cynicism or disdain that's that's unseemly, really. Well, I'm going to wear it, but I'm going to wear it on the top of my head. Yeah, might as well you know, not just, wear uh, one. Just, well, no, don't wear one. You look goofy. Just don't. You look stupid. I'd rather not wear one than look that stupid. <laughs> <laughs> And we we have I work with this guy, and he can't stand to talk when he has his mask on. So when he's talking, he pulls the mask down. It's like, dude, that's when is you this need... a physician? No, I'm not going to say. Oh no! But that you know, it's like, dude, you, that's when you need to be wearing it. If you're asymptomatic, you could possibly. Have you spoken to him about of this? Of course. And when he's at Subway and he does that, they go, "Sir, you have to wear your mask." Oh no! You had lunch with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, good. All the time. Great. <laughs> Friend of mine. Oh, anyway. nice. All right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dr. Steve. I'm Brady. 
and you told me to call in and ask you a question about this uh, New York Times article. U.S. officials consider half doses of, Moderna, of uh, Moderna's vaccine to give more people at least some immunity. So I wanted to ask you what the deal there was. Thank you. Have yep. a good day. Yep, yep. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. What an interesting voice. Oh, yeah. Or um, inflection. The Okay, so some people have said if we want to give more vaccines, give everybody a half dose. And that way we'll have twice as many vaccines. I'd take a half dose. Yeah, would you, though? You know what? I'd take a quarter of a dose right now. All my friends are in the healthcare field. They've all got it. And I'm... and, and yep. Okay. Two of them are going and holding down bar stools, as they said. And what am I doing? Sitting in here with you doing I'm, radio. I'm 100 percent watching understand. Virgin River. Oh, it's boy. really pretty sad. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Cobra Kai later on if I get lucky. Oh, now that's a good one. <laughs> you know what else is a good one? What? The Great British Baking. Yes. Show. So are you Team Mary Berry or Team Prue? I like them both. Yeah, I do like them both. Mm-hmm. I love the faces Mary Berry makes yes. when somebody says something nonsensical. <laughs> or they, when, <laughs> She's got no poker face at so, all. Somebody said they were going to make a cookie out of bergamot and lavender, and she looked like she was going to just vomit on the table. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest looks on her face. If you've not watched that show, you really should. I always thought it sounded really stupid, but it's very, very entertaining. It's it's lovely to watch. Better for me than Valium. If mm-hmm. I come home and I'm all nerved up because I've been in COVID hell all day, and then I come home and we put that on, as soon as I hear that music, I'm good. Everything's all right. It is. It's just lovely. And I've learned a shitload. Now I'm buying all of Paul Hollywood's baking books <laughs> and looking. I'm like, ooh, what can I bake this weekend? So. <laughs> That ham and cheese thing you were talking about. That's I'm what by you God making it. It's called a carone. Put mayo on it or butter. And I guess that's French for crown because it looks like a crown. And, uh, yeah, you make a, a dough and you put, and it's not mayo, you put uh, goat cheese. No, I thought I was, uh, you oh, could put, put mayo hail, on it. Oh, hell yeah, you could. You can put mayo on anything. Or butter. And so you, you make this dough and you prove it and then you... Um, uh, roll it out. Can't prove it too much or too little. It has That's to be right. just right. Too much and it will collapse. Too little and it'll be too dense. <laughs> <laughs> so people who watch the show know what we're talking about. And uh, and then you take the, like prosciutto and you lay it down and then goat cheese and then basil leaves. Come it, on now. And, and then you roll it up real tight. No with, onions? No onions. Because yeah. that would be good. We could it? do that. You roll it up real tight, and then you slice it down the middle, except you keep uh, it whole right at the very end. And so you slice it into two things, so it's opened up, right? Mm-hmm. And then you twist those opened up things around each other, just in a twirl like a Twizzler. And then you get into a circle and join it up. And then you bake it. And so when you bake it, all the stuff that's inside, some of it will be exposed to the outside, and it cooks a little bit more than what's on the inside. And it looks really, really cool, and I bet it tastes insanely great, so I'm making that this week. Oh, yummy. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Thank you, uh, Along Paul. with the low-carb um, I am such a fan. Cottage pie. Oh, yes, and I will make that as well. And we learned the difference between 
shepherd's pie and cottage pie too yeah. on that. Mm-hmm. The cottage pies with beef and no, that was from Sam lamb. the Cooking Guy. Oh, was it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, anyway, we're watching a lot of different cooking shows. He, Sam the Cooking Guy is our other favorite guy. Mm-hmm. We probably have a better chance of meeting him sometime in the future than we do uh, Paul Hollywood and and Prue and, uh, and Noel and Matt. But um, anyway, it's fun, though. Okay, so where were we? We were talking about uh, splitting up not the Corona, but the Moderna um, Moderna vaccine or Pfizer vaccine. So, so yes, why not give a half dose? Well, the reason is that they didn't study it at that level. I knew that's what you were going to say. And that's what they got approval. And the FDA says they've got some real concerns of using a single-dose regimen or administering less than the dose studied without understanding the nature and the depth and the duration of the protection that that provides. And uh, and they say, and this is from their from the FDA's website, is there's some indication the depth of the immune response is associated with the duration of the protection provided. If people do not truly know how protective a vaccine is, there's a potential for harm because they may assume they're fully protected when they are not and accordingly alter their behavior and end up taking unnecessary risks. So uh, I will guarantee you Pfizer and Moderna are looking now, now that they've got the thing approved and it's out there, Pfizer is studying how stable is their vaccine at higher temperatures guaranteed they're doing Mm -hmm. that and if they find that their vaccine is stable at higher temperatures they will apply for fda approval and then they'll be able to to ship it at these higher temperatures they didn't opt for that in the beginning because pfizer wasn't screwing around they're saying we're going to be first on the market and we're going to test it at a temperature that we absolutely know will be stable without any questions so we don't have to go back to the drawing board later so that's what how they got approval, but they got approval at whatever it is a minus two thousand degrees, whatever whatever the temperature is, uh, three degrees above absolute zero, and uh, and now it's approved at that. They have to market it at that, and they have to ship it at that. It has to be administered and stored at that temperature, um, not administered at that temperature, but stored at that temperature. And then cooled according to a protocol and all this stuff because that's how they applied to the FDA. Now they can modify that later if they get better data. Same thing with both of them uh, looking at a single-dose regimen or a half-dose regimen. If they choose to, they can study those. And then if they're effective, they can apply to the FDA and then they can be approved. But I would not recommend that crap. <laughs> I mean, I was just joking, but really. Well, no, no, no. I know. I get it. I know. I totally understand where you're coming from, but I wouldn't recommend it at all. Okay. Well, let's do a few more before we get out of here. What do you say? Okay. I'll um, do whatever you want because um, you're the will boss you? man. This Mike from New York. Hey, How you Mike. doing? Hey, Mike. Hey, we're doing pretty good. I'm doing you? fine. Thank good. you. Hope you and Casey and... God, I got the timing wrong. Let's try Let's try that again. You know, they go to all this trouble, and then I mess it up. Let's try it. Hey, Dr. Steve. It's Mike from New York. Hey, Mike. How's How you doing? doing? Hey, I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Hope <laughs> you and Casey and everyone are doing well. No complaints. Thanks, uh, I have a question. I was at my doctor getting um, my infusion at the infusion center. By the way, I think this guy called. Or it's one, somebody somebody uh, texted me and said, 
oh, crap, I forgot to do the bit at the beginning and then called back. So <laughs> we do enjoy that because it's so ridiculous. And I realized I didn't have my pneumonia vaccine. It's been five years, so I was getting a pneumonia vaccine also. And I was just curious. I asked the nurse, and she didn't know. Uh, if you take a vaccine or any subcutaneous injection intravenously, what happens? Is it less potent, more potent? Because I figured while they had the needle in my arm, they could put it in the bag like they do my Benadryl and my steroid. They get along with my Remicade. I was just curious as to why they do not do that with the vaccines if you already have a, um, a needle in your and are getting medication. Hope that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Have a good day. Yeah, actually, there's been some studies on the modes of of administration for vaccines and whether they work. And um, I haven't seen a lot on uh, intravenous. And the, the reason is what you're doing is you're injecting antigens into the body and you want them to hang around for a while. Um, so viral particles or proteins that are on the surface of of these things or even bacterial cell uh, cell proteins that the body can make antibodies against. And you want them to hang around for a while. So if you inject them into the bloodstream, um, they can cause some some issues or they'll just be gone because the body will just eliminate them. Whereas if you inject them into the muscle then the body has to, to eliminate them, has to um, uh, mobilize cells to come find them. And the, that's called chemotactics, where uh, they, these cells will follow a gradient toward the source. Okay. And uh, so the, the cells, it's really amazing. They can tell from where the gradient is that it's getting more and more concentrated. So they'll go toward that in area of increased concentration and then uh, you have cells that are now um, discovering these proteins that are there and signaling to other cells to co- to recruit them to come hey we got a problem there's an invader here and then plasma cells are now starting to generate antibodies against those cells and you'll get the IgM, which is the early antibody, and then later on you'll get IgG, which is the the antibody that you detect in the bloodstream after you've had an infection, when you've got a resolving or resolved infection. All these things are happening. And to do that takes time. And just injecting protein into the vein uh, is fraught with um, problems because, number one, it'll get cleared quickly, and number two, uh, the the uh, viral particle or the um, you know the proteins may end up in a place that you don't want them to end up and you don't want inflammation let's say they got deposited in your kidney and then you have inflammation there you don't want that you don't mind inflammation in the um, uh, muscle of your arm you don't want inflammation being generated in your kidney so anyway I'm just looking at an article here to see if there's anything about okay here's mucosal vaccination uh, most pathogens enter the human host v- uh, via mucous membranes. Uh, vaccination in the mucous membrane using subunit-based vaccines may not be able to elicit adequate systemic immune responses because of many enzymes that are present in the mucosal tissue. So what they're saying is you could put it in the mucous membrane because that's where we a lot of times come in contact with it. 
when you uh, stick your finger in your nose and you take a virus and you get it in in your nose and then you get infected, it's starting at the mucous membrane. The problem is there are so many enzymes that are there to break down proteins like that that they feel that's not going to be a good uh, a good mechanism. Uh, let's see, uh, aerosol inoculation of recombinant adenoviral vaccine. Induce comparable protection. Okay, so that what they're talking about here is the flu mist vaccine, which is a nasal spray. Mm-hmm. That actually works pretty well, but it's a live virus. So you're actually squirting live virus up your nose, and of course that will work. Let's see here. Um, what about those um, allergists who, who do drops? Yeah, I've seen varying success rates with that. That's a, that's a different thing is... Uh, is putting antigens under the tongue and then eliciting an immune response to those antigens that will block their uh, the immune response later on. And uh, uh, whether it works under the tongue or not, I don't know. I know that under the skin has been proven to work. Under the tongue, I've seen, as I said, I've seen some aller- uh, immunologists say it's complete horse hooky, but then you hear patients say it yeah. really works mm-hmm. for them. So I've heard both. I would like to do that. Uh, maybe we should look into that. Let's put a note for to ourselves to research that for, a, for a future show. You could send me a text or an email, I think. Okay, I'll text there's, you, but you won't read it. There's this thing, Tase, it's called electronic mail, mm-hmm. and it's mail delivered electronically, <laughs> as our friends Ron and Fez would you say. You are such an ass. <laughs> Okay, so the anatomical site of injection has been shown to affect the the efficacy of a vaccine. And uh, this is partly because antigen administered via different anatomical sites interacts with diverse subsets of um, uh, immune cells, which directs a drastically different immune response. That's interesting, isn't it? So that the uh, immunogenicity of a vaccine is lower after intramuscular injection into the buttocks than other regions, such as the thigh uh, or, um, you know, for pertussis, diphtheria, tetanus, and the deltoid muscle for other vaccines. So that is interesting, isn't it? That the ass muscle doesn't uh, recruit as many uh, uh, immune cells as, say, the arm muscle does. So I'm looking for... Micro needle, okay, needle free injection. Here we go. Needle free injections can be delivered by liquid jet injectors and ballistic injectors, which are driven by a high pressure gas and can respectively deliver liquid based vaccines or powder vaccines intradermally, subcutaneously, or intramuscularly. Okay, that's still not IV. Um, just ultrasonication. Yeah, so they're not even looking at IV for the reasons that I think I mentioned. It's got to sit somewhere for a while for the body to develop an immune response. If you do it IV, it's just gone too quickly. Interesting question. Hmm. It's me again. I know. Hey, again. hey, but I did have a, I think it's a good question this time. What about? Oh no! I thought he said this is Big Ed. I think it's Stacy Deloach. I think he said it's me again. Thirty second to one minute. What about starting a little thirty second to one minute segment each show about a body part? Uh, I can give you an answer on that. No, thank you. No, thank you. I'm not going to do the work on that. That would have to be my job. Wade from Louisiana, (laughs) and I was. Curious to know if the R sub T rate of infection is very close to one, which it is in most states. Yep. 
Yeah, it is. If, if you go to rt.live, you, let's do that right now, because yesterday the highest state, I think, was Georgia. And it was still just like 1.2, something like that. Let's see. Yeah, it is still Georgia. And the estimate of the R sub T, which we talked about earlier, the number of people in the real world that will be infected by someone that's infected is 1.2. So, okay, so that, that's the highest in the country right now. And the recovery rate is pretty good. The symptoms are, for most people, are mostly mild. Right. Um, why all the panic? Why go yeah. through all of this? It's because of large numbers. That's really why. When you're looking at large numbers, 1% of... A billion is still a very large number. You know, I will I will take one percent of ten billion dollars, for example. You can deposit that in my account. Right I will now. take it too. Yeah. So I'd call my company right that's away. Right. And just because I have trouble with decimal points, Echo, what's one percent of ten billion dollars? I think I know the answer. One percent of ten billion U.S. dollars is one hundred million U.S. dollars. I I could take that. You know, I would take that. So that's the problem. Is yes, the 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 relative numbers are low. The absolute numbers in human terms are pretty high. We could afford an oceanfront. We we have. Yeah, the difference between the top two percent and the top one percent is pretty incredible. You know, I mean, we do okay. But I go when we go on vacation, we go to these places and there's this house after house after house after house. It's like we couldn't afford that in a million years. Nope. Who are all these people? I mean, it it's just endless. You go to these like coastal towns and just these marinas are just endless. All the way down the coast it's like all houses we could never afford. Mm-hmm. And we do pretty good. You know? Mm-hmm. Wow. Anyway, who are these people? Drug runners. Not it can't all be drug runners. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, what, why was I saying that? I don't know, honey. Oh, shit. I lost my train of thought. Me too. Did you? I wasn't even really thinking. You weren't even that. listening to me. No, not really. I feel like running this tape back and finding out, I'm, you know what? By God, I'm going to. This is the first time in the history of this show, because uh, usually I've got Scott here to say, oh, well, you were talking about, and the the fact that that stoned out nut it can remember <laughs> what I was talking about when I can't remember. But there was a reason for this. We will be right back. You're listening to Weird Medicine. Okay, I, I, now I remember. Um, <laughs> we were talking about the panic over this. So it's it's just large numbers. And here's the thing. Yes, the vast, vast, vast majority of people do very well. But the people who are not doing well are really um, entering the uh, the medical system at rates that we have never seen before. So I have offered, except I can't get you into the hospital, to take people into our one of our hospitals and just show them what the hell I'm talking about because it's COVID unit after COVID unit after COVID unit, whereas before maybe these were units where people were delivering babies before or just regular medical surge, med surge beds. Uh, whole ICUs have been commandeered to handle nothing but COVID-19. So this is something different than than what we've seen before. And again, as we alluded to earlier, and I won't belabor the point, but 
um, if we go much further with these numbers, I'm really hoping, and you know, the numbers look pretty favorable if you go to covid.statlads.com and look at this simple moving average, that we are at the top of the peak right now and it's going to start declining. Even with Christmas just a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, because really we should be seeing those now. Okay. Christmas. And New Year's should be coming. Yeah, I forgot about New Year's. Was New Year's that big of a deal this year? I mean, it's not to us, but I, no, I mean, okay. other people do stuff. So today, we're recording this on the 8th. I would expect to see New Year's peak around the 15th. So we may have another week of increasing uh, uh, increasing cases. Now, a lot of health systems, including ours and lots of other ones, are treating people at home, too, to the extent that they can. And that those are that's a whole lot of people that aren't being included in these hospitalization numbers, but mm-hmm. are being treated. And if they all of a sudden came into the hospital, then there would be a problem. So, so that's why that that's the hundred percent reason why. And it's not just because of COVID nineteen. It's because if we have scarce resources for them, we have them for everybody else too. And it's not even ventilators. One thing that this administration did was make sure that we have all the ventilators that we'll ever need. We're fine on that. It's staff. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. Who's going to run the ventilators? And that's what you're going to run out of staff before you're going to run out of equipment at this point. So that's why. And but I see light. There is light at the end of the tunnel. We have the vaccine. We have this monoclonal antibody that if people would just use it. Uh, that you can give before people go into the hospital if you're at uh, uh, certain risk groups. Uh, So if you have COVID-19, you're over 65, you can get it. If you are morbidly obese, that would be a BMI greater than 35, body mass index greater than 35. And if you don't know what your body mass index is, just Google it, and there's body mass calculators. You put in your height and your weight, that's it. If you have a depressed immune system for any reason, chemotherapy or an immune deficiency of any kind, or on other drugs that cause a depressed immune response, then you can get it. And people who are diabetic, those are the biggies. So you can't get it if if you don't have that. Right. Okay. Well, they don't have the supply, so they're, they're... keeping it down to people at high risk that are likely, or not likely, at higher risk to end up with complications or severe disease to prevent that from happening. And it's been pretty effective in that regard. So it does, it decreases people's risk of ending up in the hospital and ending up and dying. When do you so. think peons will get the vaccine? Like, when are we thinking normal people? I was thinking it was going to be sooner than people thought because there's a lot of people in healthcare aren't taking it. But uh, if we're going to vaccinate all the 65-year-olds, um, then it, it may be, I, I'm going to say optimistically, February. Okay. And then maybe um, mid-February at the latest early March is what my guess is at this point. Oh, the money. I know it. All right. And then, uh, okay, so let's check and see. Can you um, maybe raise your oh, mic a little you bit? You want me to Google so Okay. No, I want you to raise your mic a little bit. What? Can you hear me breathing? Yes. And it's, oh. 
Well, you know what? People do that. People <laughs> breathe. For fu- I mean, for goodness sakes. No, I remember when double vasectomy turd used to be here and his nose whistled or something and it was driving people insane. Because remember back in the day, there used to be five of us in here and one person would be breathing into the mic and I would get all these complaints. So I'm just, I, I know how you are. I I'm don't want sorry to I complain. breathed everybody. Yeah, can you stop breathing? I'm sorry about that. Okay, let's see here. Really sorry. So I just I don't want you know everyone else. Oh. My name is Danny. I'm uh. Okay, hang on. See, now that's perfect. I can't hear anything. Okay, here we go. Well, I'm glad. Hi, Dr. Steve, <laughs> Casey, everyone else. Hey, man. My name is Danny. I'm uh, calling about the uh, the vaccine. Okay. Um, my wife and I are trying to get pregnant. Congratulations. Uh, we already have one son. But uh, we're trying for a second. And uh, I've heard reports that it could cause sterility getting the vaccine. I just wanted to get your thoughts. Thank you. Y'all have a great day. Okay. Uh, yes, thank you. There is absolutely no sign that the COVID-19 vaccine causes sterility. And um, I'm, let me see. Um, okay, I have something. Yeah, go. Okay, so the claim is that the head of research at Pfizer says the COVID-19 vaccine causes female sterilization because it contains a spike protein known as, uh-oh, syncytin-1. What? But the um, Associated Press's assessment is false. Yeah. Pfizer and BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine does not contain the protein... Sensitin 1. Okay. It doesn't contain placental proteins. That was one of the things yes, that they were worried yes, about. Yes, which is important for the creation of the placenta. Right. And so you wouldn't yes. want to make antibodies against that uh, protein. The head of research at Pfizer made no such claim. Yep. Yeah. So that is false. Do, would they have approved it? Wouldn't there be like a big, big warning label on it? Listen, the FDA is pretty on top of this stuff for all the crap that they get they kept thalidomide out of this country they're a very deliberative body that's why we were late in approving the the vaccine when the uk and other places had approved it i wasn't i wasn't complaining about that at the time I, yeah i wanted to get it out there but also i wanted them to be deliberative which is what they're good at mm-hmm. and um there's the this Pfizer vaccine doesn't contain placental proteins. It doesn't contain genetic material that codes for pl- placental proteins. And um, there's an immunologist that I can't find their name, but they uh, stated that the coronavirus vaccine. No, I'm sorry. The coronavirus protein that the vaccine instructs your body to make um, has nothing in common with placental proteins. So, so there you go. So, no, that's that shouldn't be a problem. And as a matter of fact, let me let me just Google this. We'll take a second because we're at the end of the show. Uh, uh, COVID vaccine, uh, trying to get pregnant because somebody asked about that, and I thought I had a um, question about that today. But um, it says routine testing testing for pregnancy before COVID vaccine is not recommended. Women who are trying to become pregnant do not need to avoid pregnancy after receiving an mRNA vaccine. That's straight from the CDC. Okay, so there you go. There you go. All right. 
Well, thank you all. I think we got through all of the questions that we had for this week. Um, there's still more on the server, and I'm getting behind her and behind her all the time, and I apologize for that. Feel free if I haven't answered your question or if we haven't addressed it uh, to uh, call back in again. And uh, it's, it's perfectly okay to do that. And you, if you need to contact us, just go to our website, click contact, ignore the warnings. That's just to keep the riffraff out, not people who are actually listening to this. And you can email us there or you can uh, reach us through Twitter at Weird Medicine. I never check messages on Facebook, so um, just don't bother with that. Uh, we can't forget Rob Sprantz, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton, Travis Teft, that Gould Girl, Lewis Johnson, Paul Ofcharsky, Chowdy1008, Eric Nagel, Hogan's Mom, Roland Campos, Sister of Chris, Sam Roberts, Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, Matt Kleinschmidt, Dale Dudley, Holly from the Gulf, everybody, the great Rob Bartlett, Bernie and Sid, Martha from Arkansas's daughter, Ron Bennington, and Fez Watley, whose support of this show has never gone unappreciated. Listen to our Sirius XM show on the Faction Talk channel. Sirius XM Channel 103, Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern, on demand, and other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. I want to thank uh, Drew and Garrett from uh, Compound Media who helped uh, help me pick out some uh, video equipment for our new uh, video uh, project. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps, quit smoking, get off your asses, and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) 